Well, good morning. Welcome to worship. Um, I'm glad to have you with us today, whether you're here in person or whether you're at home worshiping with us online. Uh, God is good and God is faithful, and this is the day he's given us. So let's rejoice in it. I hope you're blessed by the service. We are continuing a sermon series that we kicked off uh, last week called Crossing. And uh, what we're doing is we are focusing in on a central theme of Scripture, the, the importance, uh, the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. This theme of the cross is at the heart of the New Testament, and it's at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, 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 and it's important, the idea behind this series is that, that we'll grow in understanding of the cross, that we'll fully embrace the cross and its message and its good news, and that we will trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. In addition, that moving forward, we will live in the power of the cross of Christ. Well, last week we began by looking at a passage from Luke chapter 23. It's the story of the thief on the cross. It's one of my personal favorites. It's the story that, that the Lord used, the Holy Spirit used to bring me to the place where I prayed to receive Christ. Uh, so that you have this criminal, there's two of them actually, hanging on crosses, one on each side of Jesus. And there's one in particular who, in an incredible story, this man who understands that he deserves what he's getting, he says, he doesn't deserve to be up there, but we do. He's talking about the other criminal and himself. And, and an incredible story, this guy, he, he has some sort of rudimentary kind of faith in Jesus somehow in something that he says, and he's saved. And Jesus says, you've got a ticket. You've got a ticket to paradise. And, and, and it reminds us that that's never too late, that... We're never too far gone, that nothing we've done is too horrible, and that Jesus is eager and ready and willing to forgive anybody. At any moment, all we must do is ask, acknowledge our need and ask. Well, this week we're going to look at another story of the crucifixion, the one recorded by the Apostle John, and Jessica just read it. Just three short verses, kind of went by fast, so I'm going to read it again and then we're going to jump in. Later, knowing that all was now completed and that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, if you are a fan of Hollywood movies, you know that often... There is a kind of a dramatic scene where somebody's dying. It's at the end of a war or they've been in an accident. They're fighting cancer. I mean, whatever it might be, uh, they're, they're dying. And, and their last words are really important. You know, sometimes in the movie, they'll have them say something kind of weird or ironic or funny. Uh, but more often, most often than not, they'll say something like, I love you. I appreciate you or thank you. Something along those lines where they express their deepest feelings. Um, one of the most famous last words in Hollywood history that was uttered by Orson Welles uh, in the Christian movie, the classic movie, black and white movie, Citizen Kane, where he whispers the famous word Rosebud. And you think, what, what Rosebud? And it fades to this scene of this 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 old sled in the snow. And basically it's he's hearkening back to his childhood when when life was simpler, when life was purer, when he was purer, more earnest and more innocent. What were Jesus' last words? We see them right here. It is finished. 
These words have changed the course of human history for hundreds of millions of billions of people. And and hopefully they've changed the course of your history um, as as well. So what did Jesus mean by it is finished? Did he mean my life's over? It's done. I'm cooked. I'm dead. This is it. I don't think so. Jesus shouted, it is finished, not I'm finished. What is he referring to? Now, it's helpful for us to understand that when Jesus shouted, it is finished, it wouldn't have been three words like we have in English. It would have been one word. It would have been the Greek word called tetelestai. Tetelestai, which means it is finished. Now, just as an aside, I've had probably half a dozen people ask me, how do you spell that? So for those of you who are going to ask me, I'll tell you in advance, T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I, tetelestai. And it has several nuances and, 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 a, and a central meaning and application, but there's some nuance to it. First, it refers to having completed work which has been assigned to you. So say back in Jesus' day, uh, you were a construction worker or a day laborer and you're at a building site. And the foreman says, I, okay, I want you to complete this section. I want you to lay this foundation, build this wall, gather these materials, whatever it is. And the foreman would come back at the end of the day and check on you. And you'd, if you had done it and finished it all, you'd say to Telestai, the work you gave me, you, I have finished it. So one sense that what's happening here is Jesus is declaring to the world and to God, the father, it's finished. The work that you've assigned to me. Is completed. The mission you gave me, mission accomplished. To Telestai. Now the disciples would have been a little confused and bewildered by this, like, huh? To Telestai, it's finished. Mission accomplished. It kind of feels like mission thwarted to me, uh, to us. I mean, they'd followed him for three years. They had given up their lives for him, disrupted their lives. Uh, they believed in him. They thought he was the Messiah. They'd seen him do all sorts of miraculous things and teach profound truths. And their expectations are sky high. And Jesus dying on a cross was not how they pictured this whole thing going. Now, the Romans and the Jewish leaders, they would have been gathered there and they, too, would have been kind of what? What? Tell us thy mission accomplished. Uh, they would have thought Jesus was delusional. And this would have just given them more reason to mock him and, and, you know, and, and, and ridicule him. It's finished. Well, no, Jesus, you're finished. But Jesus had stated his mission clearly several times to the disciples in the crowds. You look back in the Gospels and they missed it somehow or they just didn't want to understand it or accept it. or Anyhow, for example, in Luke 19.10, Jesus declared, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Mark 10.45, Jesus said this, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's his mission. That's the work the Father gave him. Seek and save. Give up your life so that others may live. Crucifixion was not a defeat, wasn't mission thwarted. It was a victory. It was mission accomplished. Now, how did specifically did his death accomplish this? We go back to this beautiful, wonderful, powerful word to tell us again. So in the Old Testament, um, you would have uh, once a year, the high priest who was kind of the boss priest, he was over all the priests. 
And once a year he would go into the temple, you know, the temple of God. And there was an area called the Holy of Holies, which was the inner sanctum. And nobody went in there except for him one time a year. And in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and the Ark of the Covenant was this symbol of God's presence and power. And within the Ark of the Covenant, there were stored there were stored um, a, a copy or the original of, of the of the, the commandments and the, and the and the law, and it included God's com- covenant with His people. And so, only the high priest could go into this area once a year. And because God had revealed Himself as holy and perfect and pure in every way, and because as you look at the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, we can see that they they constantly fell short of God's holiness in their lives. They constantly missed the requirements of the law that God instituted a sacrificial system for, for them. So their sins could be forgiven. So it would go like this. Um, say you, you yelled at your wife or lied to her, or you were harsh on your kids, or you stole from your business partner or, or something like you slandered your neighbor or, or whatever it might be. You, you sinned. What do you do with that? Well, you go to the temple, the outer courts, you bring a, a dove or a goat or, a, or a, a lamb or something and you bring it and it's sacrificed for your sins. And the problem with that is, of course, is that you're going to go out and you're going to sin again. So you have to go back and make another sacrifice. And so you have this kind of cul-de-sac. You go around and around and around sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice over and over. And, you know, part of the problem with that is you begin to kind of feel insecure about your relationship you know, with God. I mean, what happens if I sin and I, before I get the sacrifice done, I die? Or, or what if I've done something, I didn't know about it, I didn't really realize it was a sin and I die? There's been no sacrifice. Am I forgiven? What's going to happen to me? That sort of thing, so on and so forth. But once a year, the, the whole, this high priest, he would go into the temple and he would make a, a sacrifice. They'd they find the, the most spotless, perfect, flawless lamb they could find. And they would take he would take this this lamb into the Holy of Holies before the Ark of the Covenant. And it would be sacrificed and the blood would be sealed for the sins of all the people. And then what did we do? He would walk out of the temple and guess what he would say to tell us It it's finished. The sacrifice has been made on our behalf. Our sins have been forgiven. The lamb has given its life for us. Its blood has been shed for us to tell us die. It's finished. Now, back to the people who in that day, that would have been great news. But the problem is it keeps circling around every year. You got to do this. You have to do the sacrifices. You're, you're always kind of, am I in right with God? Am I out of, you know, what's going on here? You know, where do I stand? And, and they keep repeating the cycle. Well, today, I think a lot of us operate the same way. We can be insecure with where we stand in relationship to God. And, you know, we, we keep messing up. We keep sinning. We get stuck. And we wonder if God will reject us. We wonder if he'll hold our sins against us. Well, especially that sin that nobody knows about or I'm really, really embarrassed about. Will he hold that against me? And so what do we do? We tend to keep making sacrifices. We, we make deals. We don't sacrifice animals, but we make deals. We keep trying to do better. We keep trying. And we worry that it's not enough. And deep down, we know that it's not enough. 
If that describes your kind of thought process or kind of how you view things at times, or you get stuck in that cycle, then to tell us, die. It is finished. Because of the cross of Christ, no more sacrifices are needed. Listen to how the author of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews puts it. He, Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times. In other words, keep making sacrifices over and over and over since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice himself. Now, Hebrews can be a little bit kind of like there's a lot of sacrifice. It talks a lot about the Old Testament sacrificial system and sacrifices in the temple and all these things and priests. And it's like, it can be a little overwhelming. But at the heart of it, it's, it's really beautiful. Because it tells us so clearly that Jesus took on two roles. He took on the role of, of the high priest who enters the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice on behalf of the people, their sins. And Jesus takes on the role of the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb whose blood is shed and life is given for the sins of the people. And we're told because Jesus made the sacrifice himself for us, we don't have to keep making sacrifices over and over and over. It says he did this to obtain what? Eternal redemption. This idea that we, 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 when we trust in Christ, and what he's done for us on the cross, we've been redeemed, we're purchased, we're bought back, we're covered for eternity once and for all. To tell us die. The perfect sacrifice. A perfect sinless man who dies in our place. And when Jesus did that, his mission was accomplished. He came to seek and to save the lost. And this was the only way that it could be done. And it was the only way for us to be saved. A holy, perfect God requires a holy, perfect sacrifice. And so as John 3.16 tells us, God loved us so much that he sent his son to make that sacrifice for us. Which means... We don't need to keep trying to save ourselves through religious rituals and good deeds. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we are not to do good deeds. Of course we are. We are to to do good deeds, to love others the way that Christ loved us, to 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 try to grow in our Christ likeness. Of course, we are to do good deeds, but not to earn our way, not to earn our way because that's not possible. And it means we don't have to be insecure or afraid about our standing with God. Again, we look at Hebrews chapter four this time. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, son of God. So he's the high priest. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. So in other words, he knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be lonely or hungry or tired or sad or tempted. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we can be confident. We don't have to be afraid or insecure. We are to be humble. We are to be grateful But we can be confident because Jesus, as both our high priest and our perfect sacrifice, has dealt with our sins once and for all. That's amazing news.
It is finished. Now, to tell us, I also has the nuance or meaning of a debt being paid in full. So in Jesus day, when somebody owed a lot of money, you got a mortgage or you borrowed some money for a business or, or somebody gave you money to get your family member out of debtor's jail or whatever it might be, you would owe them and you'd have obligations. But when the debt had been paid and the obligations had been fully met, you'd receive some sort of uh, you know, paper or certificate, sort of like when you pay off the mortgage to the bank, you get, hey, it's been paid in full, and it would say to Telestai. So if anybody wondered if there's a dispute, you could say, nope, to Telestai, what I owed, my obligations are completely taken care of. Now, some versions of the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, we will use the words debt and debtor. And, you know, the idea of forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and, and the, the idea behind this is when we sin against somebody, in a sense, we owe them. We owe them something. We owe them restitution. We owe them making things right. We owe them an apology. When we sin against God, we owe him. And the scripture tells us that that is a debt which is so huge and vast that we can never, ever, 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 ever repay the debt and obligation we have to God because of our sin. But again, the good news. Hebrews assures us that the debt has been paid in full. Obligations met. Chapter 10. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for one for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits his enemies to be made his footstool. And then talking about God's people, he says this, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. It's finished, paid for There's also a sense in these words, it is finished, of a new era beginning and an old era ending. The old covenant had this, it was a foreshadowing, kind of a shadow. It pointed to the new covenant that was to come. Um, So the Old Testament laws and sacrificial system in the old covenant, what did they do? They were there to, to emphasize the holiness of this perfect, powerful, just God. And they were there to emphasize the utter inability of his people to meet the requirements of the law, which isn't great news. But the good news is in the new covenant established by Jesus, the requirements of the law have been met by Jesus himself. The old covenant, the old era has finished. It's done its job. It's done its purpose. The new covenant, the new era has begun. That's why when we take communion uh, once a month, we will quote Jesus' words when Jesus says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. We celebrate and we remember and we give thanks that Jesus' sacrifice and spilled blood for our sins establishes this new and better new covenant with God, one in which we can be secure, we don't have to be afraid, we can be confident, and then we are to live in light of and in response to that new covenant. Almost done. So let's apply this real quickly. We've already done some of that, but I want to highlight a few things and some of the implications. Okay. So first, all our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. All of them. All of our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven when we trust in Christ. They're covered. So that means the sins that you regret 
the sins that you don't want anybody to find out about, the sins that you still struggle with and probably will for the rest of your life, the sins that you're not aware of. Well, I didn't know I did that. The sins that you are too aware of, that you obsess over, the sins that you will commit in the future, and we all will, they're covered completely to Telestai. Now, caveat, don't take this for granted. Don't say, I'm good, thank you, Jesus, I'm good, and then live the life that you want, however you want. Don't say, hey, I'm forgiven. You know, God doesn't care what I do to my body. God doesn't really care that much how I treat other people. I can ignore God. I'm covered. Jesus did not die so that you could have that attitude. What you can do is you can live a life that's committed to Jesus, wanting to grow in Christ-likeness, in obedience, not in a way to earn it or to pay it back because that can't be done, but rather out of gratitude and love for him. And what you can do is not treat Jesus' sacrifice as if it's not enough. We can tend to do this. We do that when we don't forgive ourselves and when we don't forgive others, because it shows that either we don't understand what Christ has done for us on the cross. Well, he can't, it doesn't cover that. Or it shows that we're too proud in a way to be humble enough to receive Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. So it's finished all your sins. When you put your trust in Christ, past, present and future, they're forgiven. Now, we're not going to linger on these next few very long, but because we've already spoken to them, but I want to I want to put them up there. We don't have to perform to earn God's favor. We are accepted. We are embraced by Christ because of Jesus, by God, because of Jesus. We are welcomed. We are brought into God's family as sons and daughters because of Jesus, not and never by anything that we do. We can approach God with confidence because of Jesus. Again, because of and solely because of Jesus. Nothing that we have done or are doing or will do. The next one is a big one. It is finished means that we, we don't have to fear death anymore. All of us understand that we're mortal. This life is temporary and it can go fast. We don't know when it's going to end. It can be just a, a, a stopped heartbeat away. But because of Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, we don't have to worry about death. He died for us so that we can live on eternally with him. Death is defeated. Sin is defeated. Satan is defeated. They thought that Jesus was finished, but they are finished because Jesus finished them on the cross. So our closing takeaway. We can come to the cross, a place of death, and find life. We can live enjoying peace because we know that we're forgiven and our debt has been paid. We don't have to be insecure. And we need to stop trying to live through our own strength and our own power because that will lead to fear and frustration and failure. I know it. I've tried that at times. We are instead to live through the power of the cross. Because Jesus has completed the mission he was given by the Father. The debt has been paid in full. And he has sought us and he has saved us through what he's done on the cross. So come to the cross. Trust in Jesus. He has finished it for you.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are grateful for your word and we thank you for um, Jesus' words, those powerful, beautiful words. It is finished. It's completed. The debt has been paid in full. All obligations met. The requirements of the law fulfilled. Sin and Satan and death defeated and finished because of you, Lord. Father, I pray for each person who hears my voice that they would have an encounter with your Holy Spirit that works deep within their heart and mind to drill deep into them this a solid trust in Jesus and a solid belief in what you've done for us on the cross. All our sins, past, present, and future forgiven, all accomplished by you because of the Father's love for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We come to you now. We come to your cross. Fill us and guide us and direct us for your glory. Amen.